you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11, and uh, we're going to be in three different passages this morning. We'll be in Hebrews 11, we'll be in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn and kind of uh, uh, bounce back and forth between those few different passages. Will you pray with me uh, this morning? Father God, we are so thankful, God, for your love, for your mercy, God, for your grace in our lives. God, I'm thankful for a brand new day. God, your word promises us that the old is past and the new has come. And God, we claim that even this morning. And God, I pray for those who may have walked in here today and God, they've uh, been through some tough days, God. They need you to come through in, in a huge way. They've got a situation that requires big faith. And Father God, right now, things may not be looking good. And God, I pray that you would give them a peace, as your word says, that passes all understanding. God, that in the most vile situation, the darkest of days, God, you will come through. And God, I pray that you will give us as a church a, a hope, God, an understanding that uh, as, as we kind of step out into the unknown, God, as we take one foot and put it in front of the other and step out and to a, a vastness that's dark, God, I pray that you would help us to realize that you are in control and you are the one who will provide. God, may we be people who don't rely on ourselves, but I pray that we'll rely on you, and I pray that you will make that very real and very much known to us today as we take a look at the life of Abraham. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I know that we are in part four, kind of week four of this series called Big Faith, and I realize that tomorrow is the last day of October, um, and I realize that some of you have already been to some of the big box stores, and you're like, really Christmas already? And as Cynthia just said, you know, we're out there, and it's not even, you know, we haven't even had Halloween yet, and out there is our, our, our Christmas uh, boxes, and um, we, we are just very quickly uh, heading to that time of year, whether we like it or not, isn't that right? Uh, I saw someone this morning, they walked in with the red Starbucks cup. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the beginning of the Christmas season today. It happened today. It's not even, you know, November yet. I can't believe it. And I know that some of you who are parents, you don't want to hear this, but um, your kids are making the list already. Sydney, Sydney sent a letter to Santa Claus like five weeks ago. I mean, you know, it was like 90 degrees outside, and she's writing a letter to Santa. I'm like, something's wrong with this. But anyway, it's quickly coming this way. And if you are kind of in the situation that we're in, um, the kids are beginning to make that Christmas list, and they're coming up with their wish list. And as parents, you're like, man, it's a recession. You know, I mean, you know, even if the recession's affecting Santa Claus, I mean, come on. Yeah, the third quarter was good, but, you know, my checking account is not that good. I'm, I'm considering even talking to our kids about the fact that I think Santa is in Financial Peace University. He's going through Dave Ramsey. I mean, why not, right, you know? Maybe they'll understand it. I doubt it. But anyway, you're just hoping that they'll come up with, with gifts that, you know, don't break the budget and that don't cost uh, too much money. Um, I, it, it's interesting. In our house, Cynthia does all the shopping. I, I'm just, that's just not me. Um, and, uh, well, she'll tell you that I like to shop, but I guess I like to shop for myself. Maybe I'm a little selfish. But anyway, she does all the shopping, and largely she does it online. And uh, so she'll shop kind of through the Christmas season, and we'll get all these boxes. They'll arrive, you know, UPS, FedEx, and in the mail, and uh, they'll arrive on our doorstep. And we have this really thing. It's, it's probably one of the highlights of being a parent 
uh, and we have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Uh, I love the tradition that we've started. Um, on Christmas Eve, as, as you know, if you've been with us for a while, we have uh, two or three, we'll probably have three this year, Christmas Eve services. And uh, they're all through the afternoon. And so Christmas Eve is a very busy day for the Cullens, and the kids are with us all day. And man, it's, it's just, it actually is a lot of fun by the time we're all done. But we get home really late on Christmas Eve. And I've had this little tradition that we've kind of created in our house that um, I wait. You know those boxes that they've got that, that sticker that says assembly required? I wait until Christmas Eve to assemble them. And it's just, it's kind of a fun night. And I had one Christmas a few years ago that I started panicking because it was like 10 o'clock before everybody went to bed. And there were like five assembly required gifts. And I'm like, I'm going to be up I'm, you know, I'm not even going to see uh, uh, sleep tonight, and so uh, I think I was up till one or two in the morning and just praying that everyone would sleep in, and that's just crazy to pray that, but anyway, uh, and, and as much as I, I love doing that on Christmas Eve and the, that, you know, night before Christmas with the kids, and it's a fun little parenting thing, um, I'm really happy this year because all of the gifts that our kids are asking for Christmas for this year, and we are in like our last year of Dave Ramsey's financial peace, so you know it is going to be uh, kind of one of those years. But anyway, the, the things that they're asking for so far, nothing is assembly required. No assembly required Christmas this year. And so Santa and Dad will get a great night's sleep on Christmas Eve this year, and so I, I'm pretty excited about that. But it was interesting, a couple years ago, uh, we got this one box and it was Sydney's gift, and it was a princess vanity set with a stool, okay? So it's, it's like this big, and it's got like a regular size mirror on it. It comes out like that. It's still in her room, and it has a stool on it that even I can sit on. I mean, it's small, and I, you know, a few more pounds, and I might not be able to sit on it, but anyway, it's, it's a pretty normal size thing. That thing came in a box that was, I promise you, it was like three inches thick, and it was like four inches wide, or four feet wide by two feet wide. It was, a, it was this tiny little box. I mean, that required a lot of assembly. And so I'm really glad this year that so far uh, it's going to be a no assembly required Christmas. I, I've just begun in our house to kind of expect when a box is sitting on the porch in like November and December, that means dad will be up late, you know, on Christmas Eve, uh, putting those uh, boxes together. And I kind of expect that every box that we receive at Christmas time is going to be assembly required. And, you know, you know I think that we, we kind of do that with our faith walk too. We, we kind of assume, I want you to catch this, we kind of assume that every time that we have opportunity to trust God and put our faith in God, that somehow, some way, this is re- going to require me to do something. And faith is not like that. Faith is no assembly required type of faith. God tells us in his word that there are certain things that we do to prepare us to trust him. But when it actually comes to the trusting part, I want you to catch this this morning. It is not contingent upon us. That thing that we're trusting God for is not contingent upon us coming through. You know who it's contingent on coming through? It's contingent on God coming through for us. And so often we have this default in our faith life that we think somehow, some way that uh, faith requires me to do something. When in fact faith, all that's required for big faith is for us to believe and to trust that God is going to come through. 
As a matter of fact, being a person of big faith, when we think that it's contingent upon us doing something, we, we put ourselves in, a, in a, a very perilous position spiritually. We put ourselves in a position where we kind of think of ourselves as God's small g. We kind of think that, well, we can maybe help God or we can, ooh, man, coerce God or lead him along in some way so that that object of what we're trusting God for comes about. When we play a part, when we think that we can play a part in that thing that we need to have faith for, we're putting trust in me. You see, at that point, we're trusting me to come through for me. And nowhere in the Bible does it say anything like that. In fact, when we buy into that lie, we border on the edge of being humanistic in our thinking and relying on ourselves and not relying on God. I've told you throughout this series there's two kind of faiths, and they're kind of intertwined a bit. And Paul, in the book of uh, Ephesians uh, to, to the church in Ephesus, says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, a gift from God, not by works, he says. We don't have faith by what we do. And then he goes on to say, so that no one can boast. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week. Now, in this series, we're not necessarily talking about the saving kind of faith, but the same spirit applies when we have to have faith for God to come through on our behalf. That we cannot rely on ourselves. That good works does not lead us to that faith. There is such thing as no assembly required faith. In fact, that is being a person of big faith. Now, I want you to ask yourself some potentially tough questions this morning. When you have an opportunity to exercise faith, do you trust in yourself or do you truly trust in God? When you have the opportunity to exercise faith, do you rely on yourself or do you really rely on God? Do you try to coerce God? Do you try to find alternatives for him to come through on your behalf or seek an opportunity to fix what God apparently isn't doing in your life? In this series, we've discovered a couple principles so far. First of all, to be a person of big faith, the first week we discovered that it means that we have to develop a hunger for big faith. The second week, we talked about the fact that we've got to make room for big faith in our lives. We have to have clean hands and pure heart. And then last week, we talked about the fact that we've got to hold on to God during those times when it doesn't seem like God is coming through, that we need to stick with Jesus, and we need to say, this is who I'm trusting even in the darkest hour. And while being a person of big faith may cost us something, it may cause us to have to sacrifice to show that we have big faith, this morning, the key principle that I want us to learn is that having that no assembly required kind of faith is not contingent upon me. There's nothing that we have to do to have faith in a big God. We only have to believe that he's going to come through on our behalf. Well, what does that mean? How do we do that? What, what, what does all that mean? Over the course of these next two weeks, we're going to take a look at Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And if we take a look, and, and we've kind of used Hebrews 11 as a springboard for this series, uh, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, if you will, in the New Testament, where it talks about characters who had big faith. And Abraham is talked about more than any other person in that hall of faith chapter. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, says this, and you'll see this on the screen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And so over the course of these next couple weeks, we'll take a look at Abraham. We'll take a look at the covenant that God established with Abraham. We'll take a look at, uh, at how that covenant looked like it wasn't going to happen in a couple different circumstances. Now, the covenant that Hebrews is talking about here goes all the way back to Genesis 12. And so I want to discover what it was when we use that word covenant, what that word means is it means a promise. What was it that God had promised Abraham? And what is it in Abraham's life that's happening that makes it look like that may not come to pass? Genesis 12 says this. Now, this is one of the most critical chapters in all of Scripture because this is the first time that God has a covenant relationship with mankind. Take a look at this. The Lord said to Abram, which is what his name was at the time, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. We'll talk about that in a moment. Second verse there, it says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want you to catch that first part there. What God tells Abraham, he tells him to leave everything that he knows. He tells him to leave all the luxuries of life, to leave his country, to leave his people, and to leave his father's household. God tells Abraham to leave everything that's familiar to him. God often does that when he asks us to walk into big faith, doesn't he? I mean, God, God's not going to ask us to take a step into big faith and ask us to do something which is easy. He's going to ask us to do that thing that's maybe as we look at it from a logical standpoint, is going to cost us the most. As we look at it from a logical standpoint, it may be something that's going to be terribly uncomfortable for us. Our new surroundings, we may not even recognize when God calls us to do that thing that he's calling us to do. We may have absolutely no clue. I remember when God called us to move to Hilton Head. I thought, are you crazy, God? What are you thinking? I mean, we had a nice little life up in New York City, and he called us out there, and he called us to this place that we, other than a few vacations that we had taken, we had no idea what it was all about. I remember when Pastor Jeff said he was moving here back in the late 90s, and I thought, this is a, a vacation community, a retirement community. Is there really need for a church? Well, we found out that there really is a need for a Bible-believing, gospel-speaking church. I want you to notice the promise that God gives Abraham. It's threefold. First of all, he promises them to be a great nation. Keep that in your mind as we talk about what happens to Abraham over these next uh, few chapters. He promises to make a great nation out of Abraham. He says that he will make his name great. And then thirdly, he says that all people will be blessed because of him. Now, Fast forward to Genesis 22. God has given us this, given Abraham this great covenant in chapter 12, and we're going to come back to that covenant next week and talk about some other parts of that. But fast forward to Genesis 22. Now, Abraham is married. Abram at the time is married to Sarai at the time. Those were their names at the time. And Sarai, the Bible says, was barren. The Bible says that she couldn't produce offspring. Okay, now, just picture this. 
There's been a covenant made with Abraham, right? God says to Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. Yet he's married to a woman who's barren. All of a sudden, this promise looks like it's not going to come through, doesn't it? And so as we work our way through Genesis 12 through 22, a miracle happens. And Sarai becomes pregnant with their only son, whose name is Isaac. And God changes their name from, Ab- from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And God gives them miraculously, at a very old age, a son named Isaac. And all of a sudden, it looks like God's promise is going to come through through Isaac. Now, let's take a look at chapter 22. Now, I want you to picture this. God's promised Abraham that he will make a great nation out of him. And there's one son. One son. I mean, this is going to absolutely have to work if there's one son that's going to fulfill this promise. Isn't that true? Take a look at at Genesis 22. Uh, A whole nation, a whole race hinges in the balance. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said this, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will tell you about. Now, wait a minute, God. You promised to make a great nation out of me? I'm sure Abraham was thinking. My wife is barren, and you come through, you perform a miracle, and she gives birth to Isaac. But now you want me to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him? God is testing the faith of Abraham, isn't he? And sometimes God will test us. Now, he's not going to tease us. He's not going to string us along. But there are times when God wants to check us and see who do we have our faith in. Do we have it in ourselves? Do we have an assembly-required mindset to faith? Or do do we have a no-assembly-required type of mindset? Do we truly trust in God or not? Having an assembly-required faith means that we completely rely on Him, that we absolutely trust Him, that we take that step in obedience because we trust Him to provide. We as a church have a reason to exercise our faith right now, don't we? We have a building. You've seen the floor plans. We've been talking about it. I'm going to talk about it at the end of uh, my message today in detail. But we have to raise $300,000 in a very quick period of time uh, before the end of the year, before January 1st, to see that building renovated with the necessary and required things. I believe, I want you to catch this, I believe that God is testing our faith. Do we trust him? $300,000 from your pastor's standpoint seems absolutely insurmountable. And I know some of you may be saying the same thing. How in the world can God do this in and through us? How in the world? This is an opportunity for us as a church together. And I realize there are things in your own individual lives that you have, and there are things in my individual life that I have where we have an opportunity to exercise our faith. But I want you to catch this. We're going through a season as a church where we have an opportunity to exercise our faith together as a body of believers. I told you last week about a gentleman who has donated our first 
big donation for this campaign. He's never set foot on this church. He's never even been down here in the low country, but he knows about the need. I made him aware of the need a few months back, and he gave $25,000 already, and he's committed another $25,000, as he says, if I live that long, to, uh, for the first week of January. And so he's kind of pledged the first $50,000. I, I didn't do anything to coerce that. I, I made no follow-up calls with him. I, I, he wasn't on some kind of campaign or list or anything like that. I told him about our need. God moved in his life, and he said, I want to do this. No assembly required kind of faith. I mean, it'd be nice. I'm an old sales guy. It'd be nice to have a little notch in my belt and say, man, I drummed up this money. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. God did this in his life, and he did it for our church. It's no assembly required kind of faith. Another example of us coercing God might be going to a bank and asking for a loan. Now, I'm not saying that going to a bank and asking for a loan, all of you bankers are like, oh, let's get the tomatoes out and throw it at them. I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing. There are many godly people uh, who might say that there are times in the life of a church to take out a loan. I'm just saying that I believe that God is going to raise this in cash for us so that we don't have to take out a loan. And I think that if we were to do that, if we were to try to, to do that and try to find a way to do it beyond God being faithful to us, that that would be not be following him in obedience. God is the kind of God that we can put so much faith and so much trust in him that it's no assembly required faith. Well, becoming a person of big faith is all in how we respond to the circumstances that come our way, isn't it? Look at how Abraham responds in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the, burn, uh, for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. I kind of picture Isaac carrying this wood probably up a big mountain or a hill. And he himself carried the fire, and he carried the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replies. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Wow. I mean, put yourself in Abraham's position at this point. Awkward. I mean, yeah, God told me that I'm supposed to take you up to a mountain and sacrifice you. That's the news that Abraham has to deliver to Isaac. I want you to catch his response. Catch his response in verse 8. Look what Abraham says. He answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I love, I love this response. I don't get the feeling at all this is Abraham like we as parents do. You know, mommy and daddy, is it going to be all right? Yeah, it's all right. It's fine when we know it's not going to be all right. I think this is truly a picture of Abraham's heart that he absolutely trusts God. God himself will provide. Do you believe that? Do you believe that so much that in the darkest of circumstances, in the thing that God asks you or us to do that seems absolutely ridiculous that you go, yes, he will provide. Absolutely, for sure, without 
any hesitation. I believe that this was Abraham's truest heart, and he believed God. You know what he believed? He believed that God is not going to lead him to a dead end. He's not going to do it. I mean, he and his wife could not bear children, and God provided a miracle. They were old, and God provided Isaac. God wasn't going to lead Abraham after he made that promise to this point to only have Isaac, the one son that a whole race of people was contingent upon. God would not have done that to see him die on an altar. And Abraham trusted God. Let's read on. Verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on top of it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him there on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Now, at this point in time, we're all waiting for the but, B-U-T, aren't we? We're waiting for but God, but the angels, but Abraham. We're waiting for something drastic and dramatic to happen at this point. I, I can't imagine what Abraham was thinking. I mean, he was human. He was just like you and me. He had a deeper faith maybe than some of us. But you know what? I would imagine that as he had that knife in his hand and as a whole race hinged on exactly what he was about to do, I'm sure that he had doubt. I would imagine that he had pain. I, I can't imagine that tears weren't streaming down his face. Is God really calling me to do this? I'm sure that he had the thought, is this how it ends, God? Is this how it ends? And then God intervened. God provided another way out. We don't like for God to do this, do we? It's very disconcerting. Even reading that is disconcerting, isn't it? We want God to to provide way earlier than that. We wanted God as Abraham and Isaac were talking, father and son by themselves, holding the wood, holding the fire and the knife. We wanted God to, at some point in time, have a lamb or a goat, a perfect sacrifice come along their way before they even built the altar. We wanted God to pre-intervene. And y'all, sometimes we do that in our faith life, don't we? We want God to intervene way before his plans are. I want God to provide that $300,000 now. I want us to go ahead and get started on the construction. I want, I want construction to go smooth sailing. I want to be in by Easter. I actually wanted to be in by Christmas Eve, but that's not going to happen. You know, we want God to provide before his plans say he's going to provide. We want that but God situation to happen a lot sooner then God wants it to happen. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. There's Abraham with the knife up in the air. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was in a thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You see, at the very last moment, at the last hour, at the last second, at the last minute, God came through. Abraham didn't have to do anything. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham and Isaac. And he's going to do the same 
for you in the situation that you're most desperate about right now. He's going to do the same for us in terms of what we are believing God for in our big faith situation as a church. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, writes this. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? In fact, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. You see, that's the only thing we have to do, church, is we just have to believe God, and then it will be credited to us as righteousness. We have plenty of opportunity to exercise our big faith as a church. We have plenty of opportunity to not coerce God, to not uh, try to find a way out with this $300,000 that we have to raise before the end of the year. And I want to let you know a little bit specifically about what that $300,000 is going to do in terms of our facility. I think we've got a picture up here, a floor plan, that I want to show you a little bit about. You guys have seen this on the wall, and it's online. The orange part there are our office areas for the staff. We've got kind of a workroom and, and four offices that uh, we're taking a look at for this facility. We'll be able to provide all of the, all of the ministries out of that that we're used to providing. Uh, there's not a whole lot of work that has to be done with that. We're going to create a hallway that kind of goes across there from the worship center into the office space. That's something we'll have to create. You see the bathroom up there right now? There's two bathrooms up there. You see those bay of bathrooms? Right now there's only one. Um, we didn't think that would go over too well, uh, especially with the ladies. So anyway, so we have to put in a new uh, set of bathrooms, and, and uh, we're, we're glad to be doing that. The green part that you see there um, is promised land. And we'll go from three very small rooms to four rooms there. It's blown up there. To four rooms that will give us ample space for our children's ministry there in Island Kids. I can't believe I said promised land. Oh, I'm doing, doing, doing so well. Anyway, it'll give us plenty of room for Island Kids. There'll be plenty of space to store things in Island Kids. There'll even be some uh, entrances into the bathrooms that are on the Island Kids side so that when the Island Kids have to go, they don't have to go in the worship center and around that way. Uh, the bathrooms will have access uh, from the worship center. The worship center, if we can bring up the worship center there, the worship center will seat 350 adults. You know what that means for a while anyway? What does that mean? One service, okay, for a while anyway, and uh, it probably won't last long with what God is doing, but for a while we'll be in one service. We'll, we'll have opportunity to expand over on the other side of that stage there. Uh, there's an island cafe that will at first just be some tables and very, very kind of a casual environment. And as time goes on, maybe in phase two or phase three, we'll really deck, deck that out and kind of provide something that'll be full service. It's going to be an amazing facility. We're, we're doing everything that we can to keep costs low. We're doing our part. But y'all, we have to trust God for his part, don't we? We have to trust that God is going to provide for us. Now, if you're a first-time guest today, uh, this is kind of a family thing. This isn't necessarily for you. And I'm so glad that you are here today so that you can see what God is doing. And God's doing an amazing thing in the life of our church. But we're going to hand out commitment cards to all of you who are part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family as you leave today. And on that uh, commitment card are, are, is a place for you to commit to be praying over these next 60 days or so for this project. 
We are hopeful that if we have the $300,000 in before the end of the year, that we can start construction right after the uh, uh, beginning of the year, maybe even a little bit sooner than that. But we'll start pretty much right at the beginning of the year, and, and we're just praying that we can be in by Easter time. But on that card, there are three lines, and this is what I want you to pray about over these next couple weeks. We're going to give you these cards today as you, as you leave, one per family. I want you literally to take that card, and I want you to pray over it over the next couple weeks. And I'm going to ask you to pray about what a sacrificial gift would be that you could give to help us complete the goal of $300,000. Cynthia and I are doing this right now in our family, and I realize, I realize that the economy is tight. I realize that some of you have not had income for years. I get that. I understand that. God has provided for us, but we're praying through what can we do to sacrifice? Y'all, this is a great opportunity at Christmas time to teach the children in your family about sacrificial giving and that when we give, we actually receive. This is an opportunity to get their minds off of the stuff and on to what God is doing. And in our family, we're going to use that as a teaching time. What can we do to sacrifice? What can we cut out as a family to give towards this goal of $300,000? Having big faith in God means that we trust him. It means that there's nothing that we do. We follow in obedience. We believe and we follow in obedience. And I know that there are situations in your life right now, I'm sure that there are situations in your life right now that you're trusting God for. I want us to be people who realize that having big faith is not contingent upon what I do, but it's contingent upon our faith and our trust and our belief that God is the one that's going to come through. And I believe that he's going to do that for us. When you take those commitment cards home and pray about and pray over these next couple weeks. In two weeks on November the 13th, I'm going to ask you to bring those back in. There are three lines. There's a place for you to write uh, your kind of an initial cash gift. There's a place for you to write a commitment of what you'll give uh, for the next few uh, weeks uh, before the end of the year. For instance, if you are praying and God lays it on your heart to give you know, $1,000 and you can give 500 up front, you would write 500 and 500, and then at the bottom, you'd write 1,000. And that's going to help us as a leadership team to know what exactly we can do with this project. If we receive $100,000, we're not going to be able to move forward yet. If we receive $150,000 or $200,000, we won't be able to move forward yet because the town is going to give us things that we have to do. If we receive just short of $300,000, we'll probably be able to move forward, but it won't be exactly what we want to do. I believe that God's going to provide this, and I hope that you do too. This is an opportunity for us as a church to exercise big faith and to say, God, we're not going to coerce this situation. We're not going to massage it. We are absolutely going to abandon ourselves and we are going to trust you to provide. And we can't wait to see what you do in and through us to reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ in the years to come. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I'm so thankful for the promise that you make. God, in the darkest of situation, in that time just like Abraham was in when he absolutely needed you to come through for him beyond any other time in his life, you came through. And God, your word in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him, on you, God, because you care 
for us. And God, as we as a church are faced with this goal of raising $300,000, that's our faith exercise item. God, I have times when I have doubts. God, I have times when I'm restless. God, I have times when I have anxiety about this, God. But God, you are a God that has come through before and you'll do it again. God, we are believing with the type of faith that there's no assembly required, there's no way for us to coerce this, that you're going to come through on our behalf. God, I pray for those who are in here today and their big faith thing may be being a part of this short-term campaign to raise $300,000 before the end of the year. But God, there may be something in their life that is more severe going on. God, it may be a relationship that is literally being ripped apart that they need for you to intervene on. And there's nothing that they can do. It's not contingent upon them. God, the finances may absolutely just be abysmal. And God, you uh, they need for you to come through. God, I pray that you would be with their anxiety. God, I pray that they would put their faith and their trust in you. And in God, as their heart is absolutely as restless as it can be, I pray that you would help us to have that type of faith like Abraham did, that we absolutely know you're going to come through. And it's completely contingent upon you coming through for us. Help us, Father, to rest in you at our most critical time of need. Help us to absolutely have that faith in you that you are 